Um, we're going to be worshiping the Lord in our communion tonight and celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to be in a passage in Mark chapter 14. In fact, turn there. We're, we're going to be in the passage that just ramps up to right before the Last Supper where Jesus introduces the new covenant and enjoys the Passover meal with his disciples, but we're going to talk about what happens just before then. So I want you to get your Bibles open. As you all know, if you've been with us here at Living Stones for the, for the last season, we've been in the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in Mark 14 tonight, and then on Resurrection Sunday, we'll be uh, in Mark chapter 16, wrapping up our series and celebrating our risen Savior. But start with me. We're going to talk about God's Passover providence, God's Passover providence. And look with me in verse 1. It says, it was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Here's the, uh, the religious crew, uh, once again, trying to be sneaky, try to take Jesus out silently. They say, hey, we can't do it during the Passover. The people are going to riot, cause problems. So their plan was to do it after the Passover. Now, let me just give a little background information. The Passover was one of the three compulsory feasts uh, that every Jewish male uh, within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem was required to attend. It was a mandatory attendance. And I just want to encourage you, we're living in a day when we don't do a lot of mandatories. Uh, a lot of people consider that under the law and all that kind of stuff. But how many of you know when God mandates something, there's a good reason behind it? And uh, when God mandates the Passover, you go back in your Bible history, our Exodus chapter 12, you remember the Passover. It was a reminder of the death angel that was coming to bring final judgment upon Egypt uh, and uh, all the plagues that led up to that. God was in the process of setting his people free in, in a miraculous and stunning and glorious demonstration of his power. God was humbling all the false idols of Egypt, and he gave some very specific instructions. Uh, the judgment was coming on the firstborn of every household, and the instruction was to every Israeli family, you are to take the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. Uh, the blood was to be taken, applied to the doorposts of the home. And as the death angel came through that night to bring the judgment of God on that nation, uh, it, the angel would pass over those homes that were covered in the blood. Amen? This was a powerful, powerful reminder of God's deliverance from every oppressor uh, that Israel had, especially in this situation of Egypt. But how many know it was a foretaste of Moses who was going to come, a, gr a greater Moses, Jesus Christ, who was going to come and deliver us from, from all of the world, the flesh, the devil, and everything that would keep us from a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, it's interesting, Josephus is a Jewish historian, and he told us of a man named Cestius, who was the governor of Palestine at the time, and he was trying to explain to the wicked uh, Nero just how important this festival was to the Jews. So to impress Nero, he asked the high priest to keep a record of the number of sacrificial lambs that were slain at the Passover in one year. In other words, he was trying to drive home the point to a very pagan, wicked, ungodly ruler of how important this Passover was to God's people. Anybody want to guess how many lambs were registered, at least according to the Jewish historian Josephus that year? There were 256,500 lambs sacrificed during Passover. I mean, you know, that's a lot of lambs being sacrificed. That's a lot of blood being shed. Now, think about this. There was a, the law required a minimum of 10 persons per lamb. 
So if you do the math, there were about 3 million pilgrims descending upon the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This was the, the biggest gathering in, that, in the known world at that time, the largest gathering uh, on planet Earth. It was God's people coming on Passover to offer their sacrifices and to worship the Lord. So this is awesome. So I want you to see something going on here. You've got the religious crowd who are trying to kill Jesus secretly. Their plan is to do it after Passover when 3 million people go back home. But how many of you know God's plan is to demonstrate the greatness of his lamb, Jesus Christ. He's not going to let the crowd go away. He's actually going to push the agenda forward against the desires of wicked leaders. He's going to push the agenda forward, and he's going to allow his son to be crucified at the biggest event on planet Earth and at the largest audience possible. How many of you know God is working out every minute detail of the redemption story, and we get to see him flex his strong arms on this particular day? So Feelings are running high. The people are, are remembering the deliverance from Egypt. And how many of you know they're wanting to be delivered from Rome? And so there's lots of emotion going on. People are expecting the Messiah to come. Of course, many of them are missing the fact that the Lamb of God, Jesus, is already there, their Messiah. So take a look at what happens. The betrayal of our Lord takes place at an earlier time than the chief priests had expected. The death of Jesus takes place on the very day when Jerusalem was the most full of people and the Passover feast was at its height. And so here we begin. Jesus, God's sacrificial lamb, was going to be crucified not in secret, but out in the open. The thought, the, the attempt to put him to death secretly and without observation uh, failed, and now God is literally bringing forth what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, is being sacrificed for us. So at, at, I want you to see the prophetic significance of all this, 250,000 plus lambs being uh, sacrificed that day at Passover, but God is establishing his lamb, the sinless lamb of God, Jesus, to, be, to die and be sacrificed for the sins of, of us, of the entire world. And Moses, it says here, uh, as the deliverer in Egypt, is a picture, is a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ who comes as our deliverer to set us free. So hallelujah. But look at what's happening right now. Uh, as Jesus is getting ready to approach his time of betrayal and torture and the violent death that he's going to endure on the cross, there is an incredible demonstration of kindness and love that we have in Mark's gospel. In fact, this is probably the last demonstration of kindness and love, extravagant love that Jesus is going to experience before he heads to the cross. And so it's very, very important. Take a look in verse 3. Let's read verse 3 together. It says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. And she broke open the jar, and she poured the perfume over his head. Now, Mark doesn't give us the identity of this woman, but John does. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. So I want you to look at the dinner celebration that night. First of all, there's a guy named Simon who was once a leper. Now, how many of you know lepers don't get healed? They don't just take an aspirin, get a good night's sleep, and all of a sudden their leprosy is gone. The reason that Simon is at the house is because obviously he had an encounter with Jesus and he had a radical healing and it was completely delivered from his leprosy. Let me tell you the other dinner guest that's there, a dead guy named Lazarus who used to be dead, but now he's alive because he had some encounter with Jesus. So how many of you know this is a pretty cool dinner party? You got, you got a, a leper and you got a dead guy 
And then you got two sisters who, like most sisters, were fighting and doing all their thing. But you remember Martha, who was busy, you know, doing all the house cleaning and, and all the food preparation for Easter. Some of you are Marthas out there. Uh, all the Marthas, by the way, aren't here tonight at Good Friday. They're home doing their cooking and everything. Um, but the Marys, you remember Mary. Jesus said Mary chose the better thing because she chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so this is an amazing dinner party, but it's a prophetic dinner party. How many of you know leprosy is a picture of sin? The leprosy would begin eating away at your flesh until you could no longer have any feeling or sensitivity and, and your skin and stuff would just rot off, all right? And you would eventually just die. What a picture of sin. Anybody glad to be delivered from sin here tonight? Come on. We were all spiritual lepers. And, of course, lepers were not invited to dinner parties. They had to yell out, I'm unclean, stay away, I'm unclean. That was a requirement of the law. They couldn't be around you. But here's Simon. Uh, having a party with Jesus. And how about good old Lazarus? C called him out of the grave, covered in his grave clothes. T loose him. Uh, he stinketh. No, he's going to smell good. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to raise him up. And here's Lazarus. What a picture. Anybody that was once dead here that's now alive because of Jesus, come on. Uh, that's part of the inheritance. So I want you to see this. Who's, in, who's invited to to the dinner party with Jesus, people who have been set free from sin, people who have been raised spiritually from the dead, people that are great worshipers, people who are great servants of the Lord. Amen? The whole party is prophetic. It's incredible. And take a look at what happens next. Uh, Mary takes some ointment that the Bible says was equivalent to a year's wages. So I want you to think about how much you make in a year. And I want you to imagine every time you got your paycheck, you put it in the bank. You didn't spend a dime of it. Every single paycheck, you put it away, you put it away, you put it away, you put it away. I mean, you know, at the end of that year, you got a pretty sizable amount of money. Imagine taking that money and going to uh, the store and buying this expensive perfume that was found from a plant made in India. So it was far away, and they had, it, was, it was rare and all that kind of stuff. And she's got an entire flask of this. Now, what was customary is when you would come in to eat dinner, in those days there weren't all kinds of showers and baths and everything. You had to wash your feet off. You're kind of stinky, you know, it's hot outside and dusty, and you're going to recline at a table next to somebody's armpit because it was, you know, you're reclining and kind of eating like this. And so what was customary was when you came over to the person's house for dinner, you got a couple drops of the fine perfume to kind of help you smell better, you know? You got the picture. And just those couple drops was, was nice because it's very, very expensive stuff. Now, I'm trying to frame this because what I'm after tonight is the Lord wants us not only to remember things, but to respond correctly to things. You with me? It's not enough to remember. He's looking for a response. Mary takes this flask, this alabaster jar, filled with this crazy expensive perfume, and instead of just a couple drops... She dumps the entire thing on Jesus' head. Now, picture this. It's, it's running down his hair. It's running down his face. It's running down his beard. It's running down his garment. And the entire room is full of the fragrance of that ointment. Now, now picture yourself doing that. We, you know, imagine you come up for prayer at the altar, and we take a little oil, and we anoint you with oil, and we're going to pray for you. But imagine we have like a quart of, of anointing oil, and you're here on Sunday in your nice shirt or your nice dress, and, you know, Pastor Ron grabs the oil and just dumps it all on you, and it's running down your eyes, your makeup, your... your I mean, I want you to show, this was radical. This was like, oh, what did she just do? <laughs> we don't do that. 
unless you're crazy in love with Jesus. And then you do stuff like that. How I mean, you know when you're in love, you don't think about how much things cost? <laughs> My preaching is always better when you guys help out. So, uh, <laughs> love has a certain extravagance about it. It has a certain recklessness about it. I'm remembering back when my wife and I, we got married and we, we headed off to Virginia Beach. I was going to graduate school. We piled all of our belongings in a four-door lemon yellow Chevy Chevette that overheated about every 50 miles. Every time I'd go up a mountain, I'd have to hope we made it up. And then we'd stop because the engine would overheat. So we literally took breaks all along the way. We got this place, you ready for this, for $300 a month. Sight unseen. You know why? Because we were broke, but we were in love, all right? And when you're in love, you do crazy things. So we got to the house way late, uh, and we found out he had turned off the power, no electricity, no lights. We're literally feeling the walls to get up to, the, to our first home together as newlyweds. But that was, we didn't care. We were just crazy in love. And I remember when we had our first wedding anniversary away, um, I went out and I bought a bunch of uh, red napkins, all right? And I laid them out on the staircase because you walked in and you went straight up to the up, upstairs. And I laid them out like I was rolling out the red carpet for my wife, all right? And I cooked dinner for her that night. I have no idea how I chose the menu, but I made homemade enchiladas and egg rolls. <laughs> I remember when I cooked them on the stove, the floor was so warped that when you would put a, a, a pan on the stove with oil in it, it would all run down and gather at the bottom because that's how uneven the floors were. But here's the cool thing. Even though I was broke, they had a wholesale florist in the area. And I went out, and if you bought a dozen, you got a dozen free for the same price. I was like two for one deal. When she came in, I had two dozen roses, two dozen carnations. It looked like a, a greenhouse of of flowers everywhere. Here's my point. I was broke, but I was crazy in love. And I mean, you know, when you're crazy in love, you don't have to have a lot of money. You just have to be radical in your affection. You all with me? Now, did I see, did I see Sully out there? Did I see Sully, 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 Sully? Okay. There you are. I'm not going to pick on you. Well, I'm just, can I, can I tell an awesome story? I went to the Y, and I ran in to Sully. Stand up, man. I got, everybody's got to see you, all right? Yeah. Now, when I came in, you can go ahead and sit down, because what I'm going to share next might embarrass you. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, when I saw you the other day, you, you blessed me so much, because you've been a part of a group of guys. Some of them are around you. And it's just like a spiritual awakening that's happening spontaneously with a bunch of young men. They're getting together. They're reading the Word. They're sharing their life. They're ta talking about their struggles. They're praying together. I mean, you know, that's a Holy Spirit thing. It's awesome. So when I walk up, this Mr. Studmuffin has two really sweet girls talking to him at the Y. And I come walking up, and I'm thinking, all right, I'm just going to kind of pass by, you know, not disturb the moment, you know. I don't know if, you know, if he's got any interest there or what's going on. And... Uh, and Sully says to me, Pastor Ron, Pastor Ron. He says, hey, I'll talk to you guys later. And he comes running over to me. Now, I mean, you know, that's a sign and a wonder right there. 
like talking to an old bald guy with a beard, you know, when there's two girls standing right there. He comes running over, but this is what he says. Did you hear? I gave my life to Christ. I just gave my life to the Lord. And he's going on and on and on. Because listen, when you get saved, what Jesus does to you is more exciting than talking to girls or talking to anybody else. Come on! There, there is an extravagance of affection that comes up in your heart when you realize Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ gave his life for me. This is crazy. And what is the response? The response is extravagant affection. You don't just sprinkle a couple drops. You anoint him. You pour it all. You take a year's salary and dump it on Jesus. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Makes no sense. But love doesn't make sense. Love causes us to do radical things. It, love causes Jesus to go to a cross and die for a bunch of people who hated his guts and wanted nothing to do with him. That's what love does. I remember a buddy of mine. Man, he set the bar. I've never forgotten this. In fact, this is my vision someday. I want to I do this. He told the story of it was just a normal day. And it wasn't his anniversary. It wasn't his wife's birthday. It was just a normal day. And he got this crazy idea. He knew his wife was going into the beauty parlor to get her hair done. Now, I've never ventured in on those holy, uh, holy ground like that. But I understand women put these, like, giant tubes. They, like, put them over their head. And crazy magic happens under the tube. They're all sitting there. And, and then they start talking to each other, and they're all getting caught up on everybody's business. I mean, I, I think it's a scary place. I've never been in there. But, but my friend got this crazy idea because he loves his wife. He waited for the moment when she was in there under the tube with all the other ladies, and he walks in like he owns the place with a dozen red roses, walks right up to his wife with the deal on her head sitting there and kisses her, in front of all those people and lays those roses in her arms and looks her in the face and tells her how much he loves her and then walks out of the place. Whoa! Now, just picture that. I mean, that's like John Wayne, only romantic John Wayne right there. Like, and you know what happened? I want you to hear this. Those ladies to this day still talk about that woman whose husband walked in there and rocked the whole place with extravagant love. Now, I've been around religious folks long enough and religious cultures long enough to understand that when somebody really encounters the Lord, sometimes like during worship, they're so in love with God, they'll, they'll like lay on their face and just weep. And you know what? Religious people say, well, that's kind of over the top. Like you're, you're being too emotional. Or sometimes people will raise their hands or they'll shout or they'll just start crying or whatever, or, or they'll start dancing before the Lord. And religious people get offended by that because religion always tells you that's too much. That's, that, that's, that's over the top. You're being a fanatic. Have you ever heard that? You're, you're being a fanatic. And I just want to ask you a question. Like what expression could we muster up that would be over the top based upon what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Like, where's the threshold of too much? 
Where's the threshold where it's like, where, where, if God made us with emotions that are meant to, to find expression, how many of you know it's a good thing to smile and look in your wife's eyes and tell her you love her with a smile on your face? Like, that's good emotion, or to hug her, that's good emotion. Well, what is good emotion when it comes to worshiping the God who gave everything for us? But religious people, like Saul's daughter, Michael, remember David's coming back full of the Holy Ghost, and he's just dancing before God. And she looks at him and judges him and says, oh, you're over, a little bit over the top here. Look at the fool you're making of yourself, right? Remember that? The Bible says she was stricken with barrenness the rest of her life because David understood. David was a man after God's own heart, and David was willing to lay his life down. And David was willing to give it all. And can I just say this? True salvation is when people have an encounter with Jesus where, where they say, you know, Lord, whatever you want is not too much. Whatever you want is not too much. And that's why, Sully, you bless me so much Amen. as a teenage young man. I'm, pr- I'm proud of what Jesus is doing in you and in all you guys around there because I'm telling you, the best time, young people, the best time to give your life away is not when you're old. It's when you're young. It's when you give God your dreams and you give God your passion. <laughs> David said, or the psalmist, it wasn't David, it was just the psalmist. He said, what can I offer the Lord for all that he's done for me? What a great question. What can I offer the Lord to pay back for what he's done for me. Of course, the answer is nothing. We can't ever pay him back. But I want you to see the response after this woman's incredibly radical, passionate, extravagant, reckless demonstration of affection. I want you to look at what happened. Look at verse 4. Some of the people at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. Listen to this. The world will never understand when a young person gets encountered by Christ and all of a sudden everything gets turned upside down and all of a sudden everything that the world says is important is no longer important to them and they give all their life to Christ and they say, God, my life belongs to you. Spend it however you want to spend it. The world will consider that a waste. There are parents who consider the call maybe to the mission field or the call to pastor or the call to serve. There's no money there. Why do you waste your life on something like that? Invest in something important. I remember talking to somebody. He asked about what I was doing this summer, and I was going on a mission trip somewhere, and he looked at me, and he just said, why would you do that? In his mind, it was a waste of money and a waste of time to go spend it on nations or people that don't know Christ. But when God changes your life, when God rocks your world, when you see how lost you are and how broken you are and how far from God you are, and he saves you and he forgives you, then you begin to say, what can I give that's already coming out of my heart right now? Jesus, take it all. Because that's what love does. And it's that kind of encounter where you're going to have to say, you know what? Am I going to let the world look at me and say, what a waste of your mind, what a waste of your life, what a waste of your time, what a waste of your calling? Or am I going to say, no, 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 no. This is a strategic investment 
This pouring out of everything on Jesus is a strategic investment. It's not a waste. Can I just challenge every young person in this room? There is not a waste to give your life for Christ. It is not a waste to spend your time pursuing Jesus. It is not a waste to kiss some of your relationships goodbye and to spend your time going after God. I remember those early days when I got encountered by the Lord. I remember my Friday nights after the football games and how I spent my time sometimes in solitude because I said, God, I want to know you and I want to be consumed by you and I don't want to live. I don't want to live the way the rest of the people around me are living. I want a different life. I want a different life. I want my life to count. And I still want my life to count. I still want to waste my life on the Lord because it's not a waste. It is not a waste. And can I just say this? Most of the time, the people with the tiniest investment are the biggest critiquers of your life. The oil, the perfume was not even last drop falling out. And Judas and his kind were already calculating the waste already calculating the waste. And they said, you know how much that was? That's a year's wage. We could have spent that money on the poor. And I'll bet you if Jesus could have showed you their checking account, they would have spent nothing on the poor already. There are people, I've seen this, you try to build a building because you need to build a building. But religious folks, they'll do the thing, well, that money could have been spent, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at what those people's investment is, nothing. Nothing. Let's be extravagant in our affection for Jesus. Let's be extravagant in the demonstration of our passion for him. If our hearts are not burning tonight, I can't think of a better thing on Good Friday than to say, God, I need a fresh encounter with you. Lord, I want to pour my life out. Lord, nothing is too expensive for you. Nothing costs too much for you. I can't think of a better night than to get back with our passion for God. It wasn't a thoughtless waste of resources. It was a strategic investment in Jesus' life. And look at what their response when they were indignant and they scolded her. I want you to see what Jesus said. In the Greek, it's really powerful. In the Greek, it says that Jesus rebuked them, and basically he said, stop it now. Stop it now. What you're saying, stop it. He was aggressive. He was strong. And he told them, leave her alone. Look at verse 6. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. You can help them whenever you want to. Jesus said, What's, who's stopping you from helping the poor? Go help the poor. He said, but listen, you will not always have me. You will not always have me. It's amazing to me that Judas could see the value of perfume streaming down Jesus' face and yet miss the person who had been anointed. He had no value for Jesus but he had great value for perfume because the Bible says he was a thief and he was greedy. So he already calculated the waste and he's already, I mean, you know, virtue signaling people will be around you all the time trying to shut down your affection for God because of their higher, higher morals or whatever. Just don't even listen to those kind of folks, all the virtue signalers. Let's make sure we're pursuing Jesus with as much passion as, as the Holy Spirit can muster up in our heart. And that we sustain that to the day that we die. 
Jesus says, immediately stop your talking that way. He scolded them. And listen to what he says, verse 8. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed, this woman's radical, extravagant, over-the-top, reckless deed is going to be remembered and discussed, and here we are talking about it tonight. Jesus had four comments about the whole situation. First comment, he said, why do you trouble her? In other words, what has she done wrong? Why would you possibly have a problem with this radical act of love? Not a wasteful work, but a wonderful work. Thank you. And Jesus applauded her waste. I just want to tell you again, the world will look at your investment of your time and your passion for Jesus and call it a waste. They don't value it. They don't see the beauty of Jesus. They don't realize that, it, that what he did for us demands a response. But the Lord sees it, and he says, leave her alone. He says, why would you trouble her? And I just want to say to every young person on here that would have enough guts tonight to lay your life down for Christ, why would we trouble a young person who chooses to run hard after God? Why would we, why would, you know, listen, sometimes when young people get on fire, the things that used to interest them no longer interest them. What they used to do no longer interests them. Because there's a greater affection in their heart. Why would we trouble them when Christ is becoming big and other things are becoming small? Why would we trouble them if they decide in the summertime that they would like to go on a missions trip and experience another culture and share Jesus with another culture? Why would we trouble that desire? This is a godly desire. Why would we not encourage and invest and take out our wallets and write checks and send them out? Because it's a strategic investment in the kingdom of God. Jesus said she's done a good work. In the Greek, that word good means not just good, but beautiful, an opportune thing, a a once-in-a-lifetime act. Do you realize she recognized, she knew Jesus was going to the cross. She knew Jesus would be crucified. She seized the moment to do something radical. Can I encourage you all? I'm encouraging myself. Can we seize moments to have crazy over-the-top demonstrations of our affection for God and our love for one another. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like when God gives you that that impulse to write a note to somebody and just let them know how precious they are, will you get the paper out and will you write the note and will you just go over the top? When God, how many know this is the Lord because we wouldn't think this way, but when God tells you to write the check to bless somebody and you're like, Lord, how much was that? Um, It's because he's trying to show you his extravagant love and he's trying. How about this? Can we love in such a way that we leave a mark on somebody else forever? You know, when your body is in a coffin someday and I get to do your funeral and people are coming by, I hope that they're crying like crazy and I hope that they're telling the stories of all the things that you did and the impact you made at critical moments in their life because you chose to give your life away and seize an opportunity that would never happen ever again. How many of you know if she misses the opportunity here, Jesus is crucified, it's over. She missed it. But she seized it, and we're talking about her now because she's radical. Jesus is talking about her. says this, she has done what she could. In other words, it was a discerning thing. She knew Jesus would be murdered and crucified and thrown in the garbage dump. Now, listen, 
Criminals who were nailed to crosses did not get burials. They were thrown in the trash dump uh, where the fires burned continually. They rotted. Dogs ate their flesh. If it hadn't been for Joseph of Arimathea, that was, is exactly where Jesus' body would have ended up, in a trash dump with dogs eating his flesh. She said, I've got to seize this moment because he will not get a proper burial, but I am going to anoint him before his death. I mean, that was a radical thing to do. Last thing, Jesus said, she has done a memorable act. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Can I, can I challenge the man here tonight, myself included? Have you noticed that most of the radical acts of affection in the Bible, like remember the widow with the coins? You know who's doing most of the radical acts in the Bible? Women. Thank God for you ladies. But can I just say something? It's time for men to be known for radical acts of kindness and love, extravagance, giving, laying our lives down. Most men understand sacrifice. we've, We've got war veterans and war heroes. We understand sacrifice. But I'm talking about a different kind of expression of sacrifice. I'm talking about loving, loving radically. I'm challenged by the ladies in the Bible who are, are outdoing us guys, and I just want to set a different, I want to set a different pace in our generation. Guys, are you with me on that? Amen. 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 I want you to see something else. Every time there is a radical demonstration of affection for Jesus or the kingdom or something sacrificial, it triggers every demon in hell. Do you know what triggered Judas? As soon as he saw this radical waste in his mind, waste, he's going, all right, Jesus, if she's anointing you for burial, then let me go help make it happen. Because he heads straight for the religious folks. And I want you to see what happens in verse 10. We're closing here. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest. Notice who's leading this. Judas is. It's not the priest. He finds them to arrange to betray Jesus. Verse 11, they were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And isn't it appalling that the very way in which he betrayed Jesus was by a kiss? Mary is at Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her hair and kissing him out of affection. And Judas kisses him out of a greedy betrayal. How I many you know both, we're still talking about both of them. We're still talking about both of them, are we not? And I want to ask you this question. How do you want to be remembered in your life? How do you want to be remembered in your life? I think the Lord is still looking down from heaven. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the entire earth. God's looking for people whose hearts are fully devoted to him. And he's still, I believe, stopping heaven and saying, guys, come here. Look at that. Look at that. That touches my heart. Radical obedience, radical affection, displays of affection toward Jesus. Radical worshipers, this touches the heart of Jesus. Nothing has changed. I hope, I hope that there are moments on Sunday morning 
When Jesus stops what's going on in heaven and says, look at those folks at Livingstone. You guys got to see this. Come here. David, you with me on that? Come on. Then he's looking down. He's looking down and saying, look at these people and their genuine, authentic expression of devotion and passion for me. That blesses me. I, I want to catch the eyes of the Lord. I want to catch the heart of God. I want to be known for extravagant love, not for terrible treachery. Judas sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, basically the price of a common slave. Common slave. Now, here's what we're going to do. I want our ushers to come on forward. We want to worship the Lord in communion. But I don't, don't want us to go through it as a ceremony. I want us to get in touch with what's happening here. And, and I want to give an invitation. First of all, this is so important. Even before we pass out the, the, uh, the elements, I want, to, I want to say something. You know, this is very important. This is a covenant meal. That's why the Bible says, hey, don't partake of it unworthily. In other words, this, this is the sign of the covenant that we have with Jesus by virtue of what he did on the cross for us. My question to you guys is, if you're not part of the family, you shouldn't take communion. But, but here's the cool thing. Because of what happened on Good Friday and Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, you can enter the family like right now. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Sully, it's great being a part of the family, isn't it? When you, when you take the elements as communion and you eat this, it's a sign that you are in covenant with Jesus Christ. And this, this is a picture, by the way, of the fact we're going to be eating together and partying for a gazillion years in eternity, all right? This is just this is a foretaste. We're all sitting at a big table here tonight. Jesus is the, the, the head guest. He's eating with a bunch of lepers and dead people who were raised to life and healed. Amen? Are you all out there? And so I just want to say this. Just, I'm not going to have anybody stand. I'm not going to have you come forward. But is there anybody here that just say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ, and I want to be part of the family. I want to just pray for you right now. Anybody here? Just wave at me if that's you. Everybody in the family. Awesome. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to have these guys pass it all out. I'd like you to take a cracker when it goes by. I want you to take, take a cup when it goes by and just hold it because we're going to take it together, all right? And we're going to sing and worship and stay in an atmosphere of worship. But how about this? Let's just prepare our hearts. I know God's touching our hearts tonight. I know there's a groundswell of Holy Spirit awakening that God wants to do in our hearts. And so as you hold that, it's going to be some simple choruses. Just adore Jesus. Just set your focus and attention on Jesus and worship him, all right? Let's go ahead and pass that out. Amen. Let's go ahead and grab the cracker in our hands. Lord Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Lord, as we partake of this, something amazing happens as we eat it. It assimilates and becomes part of us. It reminds us of the covenant we have with you, that we're in Christ, that we're united with you, Lord. We thank you for the suffering and the agony and all that you endured out of your great affection for your father and out of your great love for your bride. And Lord, we're your bride here tonight. It's amazing the incredible love that you have for each one of us. Lord, this cracker is just a tiny symbol to try to get our mind around the brokenness of your flesh. But on this Good Friday night, we remember the agonies and the horror of the cross your body beaten beyond human recognition because you were purchasing a people for yourself. Lord, we're so grateful to be a part 
of that family. And so let's enjoy the cracker tonight and eat it as a reminder of our covenant with the Lord. Let's hold that cup up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Nothing says love like someone who's willing to lay down their lives for their friends, let alone their enemies. But Lord, you shed your blood. You poured your life out for us. And Lord, I just pray we'd never be ashamed of the blood of Christ, that we would treasure you and treasure your blood. Thank you for the cleansing. Thank you for forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the power of the blood to heal our bodies. Thank you for the power of the blood to break all oppression off of our lives. And so, Jesus, we drink this blood, and we drink it as a sign of our victory and a remembrance of all that you accomplished for us on the cross. Every enemy of ours defeated and laying prostrate before you as the king. So thank you for shedding your blood for us. Let's, let's enjoy and be reminded of our covenant with the blood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now stand to your feet with me. We're going to sing a couple of choruses that really capture what we preached about tonight. And my prayer is that the combination of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, that when those two come together, there is such a powerful awakening in us that we're not just singing words, but the words have life and they minister life to us. And so let's worship the Lord. And I encourage you, the altars are open. If you want to get out of your seat, you want to come forward, you want to kneel, you want to worship the Lord, whatever, whatever way you want to worship him. But all I'm asking is let's, let's demonstrate our extravagant affection for the Lord tonight. All right, let's sing and worship together. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close in prayer. But then we just want to minister to anybody who is just sticking around. I know there are people tonight, you're feeling the the wooing of God because there's something awakening in your heart. Fresh surrender, fresh hunger. We just want to pray and lay hands on you and bless what God's doing. There's many, many young people tonight. This is a very holy moment. God's speaking to lots of young people tonight about wasting your life on Jesus. Of course, it's not a waste at all. But I believe God is really setting in stone in some of your hearts just a life call and a life direction. And so our ministry team wants to just move around, let the Holy Spirit lead. But we just want to pray over you and bless what God's doing in your life. If you need prayer for anything tonight, we're going to continue. I want the band just to keep leading us in these courses. And the rest of you, we bless you. We love you. Have an amazing night. Father, send us out of here more full of you, more alive than we've ever been, more hungry for you. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for all that you did for us. Thank you for our future that's so beautiful and bright because of this Good Friday. So Lord, bless us as we go. Bless me in the middle of all of our celebrations, Lord, on Saturday and Sunday. Just be exalted. We give you praise in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Hey, let's keep worshiping. Amen.